Everything you see in all of creation, whether you look through the best microscope or the biggest telescope, everything you see around you belongs to Jesus. It is His. Working out His purpose, saving His people, and someday He will come again. Look to Him. Turn back to Romans chapter 4, if you would. We're going to look at the nature of Abraham's faith today. We've seen that Abraham was justified the same way that we are, mm -hmm. through faith alone in Christ alone, as he looked forward to the seed that would come. Uh, David testifies of the same justification. All need forgiveness, and all who find forgiveness find it. All who find salvation find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by our works, but by faith in Christ. So that's true of Abraham, that's true of David. Circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew and Gentile. All things in Christ Jesus and through faith in Him. And so this morning we're going to look in uh, Romans chapter 4 again and talk about the nature of Abraham's faith. What, what did his faith look like? What, what were the characteristics of a faith that God gifts and nurtures and grows, preserves, and eventually perfects? We want to see because it's the same faith he had as the same faith we have, a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you can go read that later. But I'm going to read from verses 13 to 25, and then we'll really look at verses, the end of 17 through 22 um, this morning and just see what we can learn about Abraham's faith. Verse 13, this is God's Word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherents of the law are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the, of God, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, mm -hmm. since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, bless the ministry of your word. Help me to preach it in the power of the Spirit, truthfully, accurately, passionately, as appropriate. It is your word which you have given to us, and we see your Son, our salvation, in and through it. So prepare our hearts, Lord. Focus our hearts. May I preach the word in the power of the Spirit. May we hear it as the word of God in the power of the Spirit and be shaped by it. Those who don't know you may be seeds of the gospel sown, Lord. Those who are coming to faith, Lord, trusting and resting in Christ. Those of us who know you through faith, growing in grace. We know that your word does not return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. So lift high your son. Draw all people to yourself. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. When I went to seminary, we moved up to um, near Taylor, South Carolina. That's where the seminary was. We ended up living in Lyman. But in, in the process of touring the area and, and looking for a home, we came across this old wooden bridge that we went across, and it was clackety, 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 clack. And she's not very comfortable with wooden bridges. Why? Because she's not confident in them. She's not sure they're not going to fall, right? And so later she's touring the area looking for a house with the real estate agent. And they come around the corner and there's the bridge. Ah! Now, it remains a bit of controversy as to why she hollered. Was it surprise? Yes. Or was it fear? Yes. <laughs> why would that be a fearful thing? She doesn't know that bridge. She doesn't know how rotten it is. She doesn't know whether or not it might fall. Now, praise God, it didn't. Either time we went over it, and to my knowledge, never did it fall when somebody went over it. But it sure sounded like it might. With the, the boards were very loose and clacking as you would go across it. But this woman doesn't have the same reaction when she goes across the Emerald Isle Bridge. And granted, it is more sturdy. And there are better views to distract you and, and all sorts of things like that. But what's the difference? Obviously, she has more confidence in the Emerald Isle Bridge than she had over the old rickety wooden bridge. Confidence comes from the Latin. Con with, fide, trust. Means with trust or with faith. When we know more about a thing like a bridge, we have more confidence in going across it. We're, we're more sure that it will hold us. We're more sure that it won't fall. And today we're going to talk about confidence in God. And there's some, the way that that illustration applies. And we're going to talk about faith in God. Well, I titled it Trusting God from 417 to 22. And here's the question. What does true faith look like? Because there's true faith and there's false faith. And you can see that when you read Matthew 7 and Jesus tells people who thought they knew him to depart from him that he never knew them. So what does true faith look like? And we see that Abraham serves as a pattern, as the father of us all, Jew and Gentile, who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He serves as a pattern of true faith. We've seen him as a pattern of justification by faith alone. He's saved the same way we are. Now we see him as a pattern of true faith. And the main thing I want you to take away today as we look at this text is walk in faith by knowing and trusting God in the midst of trying circumstances. Why would I say in the midst of trying circumstances? That's where we live. In this fallen world, we live in the midst of trying circumstances. Sometimes they're more intense than other times. But remember the study in Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, nothing new, a lot of struggle. But we look above the sun for hope. So walk in faith by knowing and trusting God in the midst of trying circumstances. First, walk by faith by knowing God's attributes. And what I mean by that, I mean knowing God's character, knowing His nature, knowing who He is. Through knowing His names, His names is one way He reveals Himself, and His attributes, His actions we see, His Word. So I just use that attributes as kind of a way of saying knowing who your God is. Know His nature. See, Abraham trusted God because God had revealed Himself to Abraham. We trust God because we know who He is. And listen to me, there's no shortcut. The better you know God, the more you'll trust Him. The better you know who God is, the more faith you will have. We say, increase our faith, right? Well, as you increase in sound theology you increase in strength of faith. Just like when we know more about the bridge, we have more confidence going over it, right? When we know about more about our God, we have more confidence walking through the trials of this life. We don't have false expectations. We don't think we are in charge. and We just need to rightly 
understand God. But don't miss it. The better we know Him, the more we'll trust Him. The better we really know Him, the more we'll trust Him. So as we grow in knowledge, we grow in confidence or faith. Look back at verse 17. We, we talked about this um, last time as we were sort of exposing the, the heresy of the health and wealth movement. And I'll let you go back and listen to that. that this is one of the verses they twist, but I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. But what I'm showing you is that Abraham knew God. He didn't just know about God. He knew God. God had revealed himself. He had called himself, Abraham, to himself. He had told Abraham about who he is. And one of the things that says Abraham knows, if you look at the end of verse 17, the God in whom Abraham believed, he knew some stuff about. This is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Think about that. Spoke the universe into being from nothing. He spoke and it was so. God said and it was so. And it was very good. Everything that exists, created by Him, sustained by Him, including you, the breaths you're taking, the heartbeats that you have are because He is giving those to you. But He said, this is the God who gives life to the dead. And you know, our, the preeminent example of that is the resurrection of Christ. But I mean, did, did Jesus not call Lazarus out of the grave? Did He not raise the little girl who had died? I mean, you know, we have a lot more light than Abraham had, so we have more to know more to trust about God, but he had a sufficient knowledge and a sufficient faith given to him by God that he might trust him and glorify him. But the God he trusted was the sovereign God of the universe who could make promises and bring them to pass. And creation out of nothing was in order to bring about his decree or his plan to save a people through his son. See, Abraham knew some stuff about God. He knew that he was the source of life. He knew that he was the source of existence. He knew that, that God not only created but was sustaining everything and was actively involved in his creation to bring about the seed he had promised him and therefore the salvation that would come and the descendants that he would have and the eternal home he would have. We've, we've talked about a lot of those things. Skip down to verse 21. There's something else he knew about God fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. God never makes a promise He does not keep. And there's never anything that God is not able to do that is in accord with His nature. Certainly He can't lie and violate His nature. Aren't you glad about that? He makes promises and He keeps them. Sometimes we as parents fail you kids, but we'll make promises and we've failed to keep them. Forgive us for that. But God never does that. He always is doing what He has planned to do and He is able to accomplish it. His word never returns to Him void. But you can see just in these hints that Abraham had a good theology. He knew about God's sovereignty. He knew about His creation. He, he knew about Him as the source of life. He knew about His power, that He is able to do what He promises, that He's in control. Here are some names. If you go back and read Genesis, here are a few names of God that Abraham knew. The first one is El. Like El Gabor, El Shaddai. El just means God. The Almighty One behind creation. The One who spoke and all things exist and sustains them and works out His plan. That, see how much you can learn just from that small name. How about the, the proper name, covenant name of God in the Old Testament? Yahweh. We're representing in English what the Hebrew, the, the name, it didn't have any vowels. It just had consonants and it was what we would call Y-H-W-H. And you know what? I'm going this way because it was backwards. Hebrew's backwards. Uh, funny story. When I first started taking Hebrew in seminary, we had to cop, photocopy Genesis 11 in Hebrew. And I had, I had it. I made my copy. I took my copy back. And it was just a little while before I realized I had it upside down. Because it all looked like Cleon to me. It, it's like, <laughs> had to turn it back. But it's, it's, it, was, it was backwards to the English reader. 
But Yahweh, but it probably is the right pronunciation instead of Jehovah. The proper name of God in the Old, Te- Old Testament translated by Kyrios in the New. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying something, right? The God of the covenant who will be faithful to His promises. He is Lord, Master, absolute ruler of the universe. He knew Him. El Elyon includes God's transcendent exaltation. He's, he is transcendent. He is more than creation. He's outside of creation. Certainly He's involved in it. He's imminent. And again, His sovereign rule and control. I want to challenge you to do some study on the names and attributes of God. If you've never done that, I challenge you to get a good book, right? On the names of God, on the attributes of God, and dig into those names and attributes. And a lot of good systematic theologies will have that as part of them. Remember, to trust God greatly, you must know Him greatly. We don't just say, God, give me more faith, and He just kind of zaps us with more faith. He works through means. You know, you trust people more when you know them more, don't you? You know them. You know they, they, they're faithful and true and to you, and they can be trusted. You get to know people, and you trust them more. And yes, you can violate trust and gain it back, but it takes a while to gain, to gain that trust back. But if you would trust God greatly, you must know Him greatly. If you would trust Him, it's vital to know Him. This makes a huge difference in your life. I'll give you one example, and I won't use her name. But I remember this lady in Columbia, South Carolina, who was riddled with fear, who was afraid of God, who was just sure that He was out to get her. And the reason she had cancer was because of something bad she'd done, and God was out to destroy her. Now, at the same time, though, she claimed faith in Jesus and that she was trusting Him. And I believe she was a Christian. But she had, she had some horrible theology behind her profession of faith. She didn't trust God, really, right? She was afraid of Him. And the biggest difference I've ever seen in anybody's life, and I used this before, so if you've heard it before, forgive me. We did a Sunday school class on the attributes of God. And as we walked through God's attributes in that Sunday school class, you could see her face brightening up. She was starting to understand who her God was and understand His mercy and grace and understand Christ and the gospel in a much better way. Before that class, she couldn't talk to you probably for 30 seconds without tearing up and just being in grief, right? And after that class, she couldn't tell enough people about Jesus. And she was at peace. And she trusted God. And she wanted other people to trust God. And she loved teaching the kids and teaching them. And she would do Bible, what you call it, at her house. Bible clubs and stuff at her house for the kids in the neighborhood so that they could come to know Jesus. But what made the difference in her life was knowing her God. Her faith became better shaped and increased because her theology was purified. She knew more about her God and she knew it in the context of His grace and mercy. She knew it in Christ. And so she went from spiritual sickness to spiritual health. She still had physical things to deal with, but she trusted God now through them. Right? In the midst of them. Theology made a difference. What is theology? Theos. Study of God. The queen of the sciences, Spurgeon said. See, so Abraham knew his God. He knew about his God, so he was able to trust him and grow in trust in him. We'll see that. If you would trust God greatly, you must know him greatly. I'll give you one verse. One of the first verses um, that we ever had to study and, and work on memorizing when we came to faith and were going through discipleship. But Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, as true prophet speaking, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, 
Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. And I'm sorry, I didn't give him a slide on that. Let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We mature in the Christian life as we grow in understanding and knowing Him. So see, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, but you're not in His Word getting to know Him. If you claim to love God, but you don't know Him, you're either deceived about that or weak in that. What, we, what the gospel should do is put a passion in our heart to know our God. You mean he would be gracious to me? How in the world can he do that? Let's dig into that and know our God and be able to boast that we know and understand him. Notice what the Lord says, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, chesed, covenant love and faithfulness, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. See, the first thing I wanted to point out about Abraham before we look more at the nature of his faith was that he knew God. He could trust Him because he knew Him. He could wait well in all of that because he knew Him, God. So the first point is walk in faith by knowing God. You can shorten it that way if you want to. The second point is walk in faith by trusting God. God's promises. Trusting the God that you know. Right? Look back in verse 18. Talking about Abraham. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. See, we've been looking at Genesis 15, 6 all this time. It just keeps coming back up. Paul's exegeting that passage in the Old Testament that shows Abraham's faith and, and God justifying him through faith and what all of that means. He didn't weaken in his faith because of his circumstances. He said he didn't weaken in his faith considering his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Notice this. Abraham didn't deny his circumstances. He didn't deny his circumstances. He was real about them. He was real about what he could see. Right? It says he believed against hope. What he could see seemed hopeless. Hundred-year-old man, things aren't working anymore. Seems kind of hopeless, right? His body was as good as dead. And Sarah, the, the Old Testament said, the way of women had ceased with her. Not going to explain that to you children. Your parents can do that. But bottom line, she was no longer ovulating. There were no eggs being produced. And in fact, she had been barren before. The barrenness of Sarah's room, the deadness of his own body. Those were the real circumstances. And notice, Abraham did not make contrary confessions. And we talked about that a little bit last week. He didn't start saying, I'm young, I'm virile, I'm healthy, I have children. No, he looked at his circumstances in the face and he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't see how this is going to work. He didn't know how it was going to work. But he knew it was going to work. He didn't deny his circumstances. He faced them. But he de did he face them alone? Did he just look at the hard time he was having and the struggle he was having and become grumbling? See, if we, I've told you all this before, if we let our circumstances get between us and our side of God, bad things happen. If all we can see is our trouble and it's hiding God, bad things happen. But that's not all he did. Look, look what it says again in 18. In hope he believed against hope. 
that God's promise, I'm shortening it up, that God's promise would come true. He believed against hope. It all seemed hopeless, and without God it would be hopeless. Abraham knew God, so he trusted God's promise. What was the promise? So shall your offspring be. The God who spoke the universe into existence from nothing promised him a star numerous seed. And we've talked about this before, but he could, he could look through that promise and even see the seed who would come. Christ, the Messiah. God was able to bring about what He had promised. And so Abraham knew that. He was real about his circumstances, but he looked at his circumstances through his knowledge of his God and his promises. One thing he never lost was a trust that God was going to fulfill His promises. He walked by faith and not by sight. And his faith was trusting the God he knew and the promises that God had made to him. And look at verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He did not waver. He trusted God's promises and therefore he grew stronger in faith. Notice this. He didn't start strong. It says he grew strong. We don't start strong. Think about it. When we come to faith in Jesus, probably most of the theology that we have at that point is bad theology that needs to be replaced. But we know enough to trust Him because of the gospel. We know the gospel. We know His mercy and grace revealed in the gospel. So we're trusting this God that's righteous and just and holy yet is merciful and gracious who has saved us. It says He grew strong in faith. Look at me. He didn't have a perfect faith. Abraham is not an example of perfect faith. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know that. Right? But he had faith. He had a faith that God had given him. God had given him faith. He was nurturing and preserving that faith and growing that faith and someday would perfect that faith. Abraham's body was becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. But at the same time, his faith was becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. God often waits till it looks impossible before he moves. And that way he gets more glory. When did he first make his promises to Abraham? How old was he? He's an old dude at that point. He's 75, right? Then he's 100 before it actually happens. When he was as good as dead and there's just no way. As his body grew weaker, his faith was going stronger because he knew his God and he was growing in God. He knew what God would do. He trusted that God would do it, but he didn't know how. And that explains some of the things we see as failure, right? Every time something like that happened, they were thinking, well, maybe it's this way. Maybe it's this way. They were trying to work it out. They didn't know the how. But they knew the what. And it says, when it says he did not waver or doubt, that doesn't mean that he didn't have any times of questioning. It means that his, this was his basic pattern of his life. He didn't waver in the sense that he persevered in faith. He did not turn away from God. Why did he not turn away from God? Because he went through some hard stuff too. Because God preserved his faith through the doubt and struggle. And in fact, God grew his faith through the doubt and struggle. We grow most when it's the hardest, don't we? If we have real faith, we start digging in when it's the hardest. And, you know, when it's easy, we, just, we tend to kind of coast along. But the times when we grow is when we're under spiritual stress. Just like physical muscles, they don't grow by not using them. They grow by hurting them. If you go into the gym and not willing to be hurt, you're wasting your time. If you want to grow, it comes through struggle. But see, it, it, he, didn't, he didn't deconstruct his faith and turn away from God. That's apostasy. A lot of these newfangled people are 
wanting to use these different words, they're apostates who are turning from God, and God said they would do so. And it'll be more and more characteristic in our age as people who thought they have faith will deconstruct that faith and turn from a faith they never really actually had in the first place. But Abraham didn't do that because God preserved him. Perseverance of the saints. It was God who gave him the faith. It was God who was nurturing and growing the faith through trial and hardship. It was God who would perfect his faith such that, look, he became, he became fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He didn't know the how, but he knew the who. What happened to Job when he asked why? What, how did God answer him? Did he tell him why? No, he told him who, didn't he? When, when Job asked why, God said and taught him about himself. And at the end of God giving Job this great theology lesson, what did Job do? God put him in a shut-up, as the old preacher said. He put his hand over his mouth. See, knowing God was enough. God didn't have to... He couldn't understand it if he'd explain why. But he could know who and therefore trust him. Abraham in the same boat. He didn't get all the why questions answered, but he got the who question answered. And God made great and precious promises to him, and he became fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And you know what God did? He did what he promised. The seed came. Christ. And all those in Christ, numerous as the stars in the heavens. Charles Spurgeon said this, We cannot always trace God's hand, but we can always trust His heart. How do you know that you can trust God with your pain? Do you feel like you can? Can you look at your circumstances and tell? No, you look to the cross. If He'll do that for you, what, will, what good thing will He withhold? Yeah, I know there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of mystery in God's providence, right? And a lot of stuff we walk through in this world that won't be true in the new heavens and new earth. But He's with us and for us and growing us and taking us all the way home. We won't always be able to trace His hand, but we can always trust His heart. See, Abraham being the pattern of us all, he was real about his circumstances, but he knew his God and trusted him and trusted his promises. He grew in faith and became fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised and God did. Just a few points of application and, and, and I'll stop. I do want to just at least mention this. Notice in Romans 4, none of Abraham's failures are mentioned. Why might that be? Abraham's faith sounds better than it was in Romans 4, doesn't it? Because he was in Christ. And one of the reasons is that his failures are washed away in the blood of Christ. And what God was working in him is still there and God blesses his own work. In Abraham's life and in ours. Our prayers are purified by the blood of Christ so that we, they are answered in the way we should have prayed them, in the way we do. The Spirit helps with that interceding for us. It's according to the will of God. Report written about our faith someday won't be in the Bible. That's full and done. We're in Jesus. Our failures are washed away. Secondly, true faith is not perfect faith, but a growing faith. It's not static faith either. It's not just a mere profession. I make profession of faith in Jesus, but it has made no difference in my life. You will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Because God sanctifies the soul, He justifies. He grows the faith He gives. See, Abraham didn't have a perfect faith, and before you're too hard on him... You don't either. You don't have a perfect faith. You make mistakes just like he did. But by God's grace, he's given you faith in Jesus. And he's nurturing and growing that faith in the midst of sometimes a lot of pain. 
As my knowledge of my God grows, my faith will grow. I said this in Sunday school because I had it here. You realize it's not your faith that saves you, right? It's Jesus who saves you through your weak faith. It's not the level of your faith that counts. It's the worthiness of the object of faith. We can be just as uncomfortable as we want going across that Emerald Isle Bridge, but we'll get to the other side unless a missile hits it or something, probably. See, we can trust God. Sometimes we ride the roller coaster of life with our hands up going, wee, and sometimes we're like this. But you know, we still get to the end. Enjoy the ride. God's in control. As my knowledge of my God grows. And knowledge, see, knowledge is not just mental knowledge. It is that. It's knowing more about God and walking in that knowledge so that I experience His faithfulness in my life as I learn to know Him better and interpret things better according to who He is. But your faith does not save you. Jesus saves you through the faith that is given to you, through the cross. See, ultimately, this is what Abraham was looking for God to do. He didn't know it, right? But he got a hint about it when he was going to sacrifice Isaac. And then the, the ram took his place. And in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. They began to say that. They saw that sacrifice would be necessary. But that seed that was coming, that seed Abraham saw, that seed that would be the foundation and source of that multi multitude of seed would come to live under his own law to fulfill all righteousness, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for his people's sins, to be raised from the grave the third day, to ascend and reign, to see to it that all his people were always comfortable. No, to see to it that his gospel goes around the world, that all of those seed are brought to him. Christ died for our sins. We sang it according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day for our justification. And salvation to us is a free gift through faith in Him. Abraham trusted Jesus. He just looked forward to do it. We trust Jesus. We look back and forward, right? He's coming. He's coming again. But are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Kids, are you trusting in Jesus or do you think you know better? Have you become a teenager and realized that you know it all? That delusion will pass. I promise. Is your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone? Are you trusting in the seed? Have you turned from self-centeredness to God-centeredness and trusted in His Son? Turning from pleasure in sin to pleasure in God. Know that we won't be perfect when we come to faith. But what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Turn and trust in Jesus and you will be saved and if you don't you won't it's a free gift to you your king has died will you trust him for forgiveness and salvation or will you go your, continue to go your own way you must answer that question but even weak faith is true faith If you have any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, R.C. Sproul said, if you have any love for Jesus, any true love for Jesus, the Spirit of God did that because you were not born with that. Are you trusting in Christ and in Christ alone? If so, then you have the same faith Abraham had. And if you have it, it'll be a growing faith. So number one, Abraham's failures are not mentioned. Number two, true faith is not a perfect faith, but a growing faith. Number three, now listen to me closely, because this is what we see Abraham doing. True faith interprets its circumstances through God and not God through its circumstances. We know we're failing at that when we say, if God really loved me, stop, stop, just stop. You're trying to fit God into your circumstances. What you're actually saying is everything would be well for me if God loved me. Read the Bible closer. How's that work in the life of Joseph or Job 
or Lazarus, or especially Jesus. True faith interprets its circumstances through God and, you can say, and His promises, and His gospel. Not God through the circumstances. Put your circumstances in the context of God and His promises. And there'll be a lot of circumstances that you hope were not so or wish were not so. Remember, we live in a fallen world. We participate in some of the same um, parts of that world. Sickness, death, all of those kind of things. But God has promised to save us through the sacrifice of His Son and to make all of that work for us now. We don't understand how. We may not even understand why. But we do get who. We get who. Put your circumstances in the context of God and His promises. Isn't it amazing when Job lost his kids and a lot of his wealth and lost his health that he could say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through tears, not having all of his questions answered, not knowing as much about God when that happened as he would down the road. But he was able to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He entrusted all of that to God because he trusted God through his sacrifice of his son. He is able. Remember, it's vital to know God if you're going to trust him. True faith trusts God's promise instead of human calculation. Fourthly, True faith is willing to wait. True faith doesn't have to have everything now. Think about Abraham, the time between the promises made and the promises fulfilled. Wait on the Lord, Scripture says. Wait in faith. Wait well. God is patient in accomplishing His purposes. One of his purposes is our sanctification, but that's a pretty slow process sometimes, isn't it? We wish we were glorified already so we didn't have to struggle with sin and all of this. But, but God is patient, but he accomplishes his purposes. Listen to me. There are no spiritual microwaves where you can just pop it in there, push the button, and out it comes. There's no Star Trek replicators, Right? There's a powerful and patient God working out His purposes in the universe and in your life. And the cross should be enough for us to be able to wait and wait well. True faith is willing to wait. The people of God waited long for the Messiah to come. But they waited. And the ones who really had faith waited in faith. We've waited a long time now for the Messiah to come back, the Christ. He's coming. But there are no books out there that can tell you when. So don't buy them. I bought them. I remember 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988. He was coming in September of 1988. I was supposed to move out of my apartment in August. I pushed it to November. If he was coming, I didn't want to go through the trouble to move. No one knows the day or the hour, but we know he's coming. And we wait. Five, true faith survives doubt. In fact, true faith grows through times of doubt. And that won't feel like it at the time. But true faith is being grown as we're being stretched. As we're being disciplined. As we're being challenged. Listen, God often lets us feel our weaknesses before He reveals His strengths. And sometimes He just gives us contentment in our weaknesses while we wait so that we depend upon His strength. That's what Paul did, right? What about the thorn? And Paul prayed three times it'd be taken away, and God's like, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And by the way, my power is made perfect in weakness. So 
after that, Paul said, I now I boast in my weaknesses that his power might rest in me. Rest in your weakness. Trust in your God who sacrificed his son. See, Abraham had a lot of moments of doubt and fear, just like you do. He hoped things would happen sooner. They didn't, but they happened. God is at work in, and in you and in your circumstances and making you like, if you know him, making you like Christ every day through every syllable of his word you read, no matter how you feel. He's working. True faith grows through testing. Let's just listen to Peter. He says this in chapter 1. And Peter learned a lot about messing up and waiting and patience and all that. But 1 Peter 1, 5 to 7, speaking of the people of God and speaking of our faith that God who caused us to be born again to a living hope. And it says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, in comparison to eternity, right? If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why might that happen? Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God brings trials into our lives to test our faith, to reveal to... Does He need to know whether or not our faith is real? I think He knows. To reveal to us whether or not we have a false or a real faith. But He's coming again. And there will be a new heavens and new earth. And until then, we have a mission and a purpose for being here. And it's not to be fat and happy. It's to be on mission for him that others might come to know him. The last thing I'll say is true faith's eye is on the Savior to come. Notice, notice Abraham was looking for the seed. He knew the seed was coming. He knew the initial promise and he knew the meaning of it and he knew where it would flower in the Messiah. But he was looking ahead in faith. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he was looking in faith. And so are we. True faith's eye is on the Savior to come, the seed. Abraham believed God would fulfill his promises, and he did. And the promises we have of Christ coming again are true and will happen. Come, Lord Jesus. The longer you live in this fallen world and the more mature you are in true faith in Christ, the more you will cry, come, Lord Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain because He is coming again to fully set us free. When, when our spirits go from this life, we will be perfected and be with Him until He comes again. New bodies, new heaven, new earth, and all this mess and misery over. True faith waits well with its eyes on its Savior who is coming. So, I review my main point. Walk by faith, by knowing your God and trusting your God and His promises in the midst of the trying circumstances of this life. What scary bridges does God have you on right now? They may be creaking and crying death to you. But He's in control. Working through all those circumstances to make you more like Christ. Look through those rickety bridges or your circumstances to God who is always faithful to His promises, who is able. Look to the cross and know that he has your best at heart. His word tells us that he puts our tears in his bottle. What does that mean? He's aware and cares of our suffering, right? None of your pain in this life will be wasted. Not one iota of your pain will be wasted. Because the faith he's given you and he nurtures in you, he will use it to grow you. And we've seen it from Peter. It will bring glory and honor to his name in the day of visitation. See, Christ's resurrection proves to you that none of your pain will be wasted, that God cares and is looking to your best interest. So look to Christ and walk by faith and not by sight. And don't let the creaks of these old bridges steal your joy. He's able. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is faithful. 
As I quit, I want to send you away with the lyrics of an old song. By Stephen Curtis Chapman. As I look back on the road I've traveled, I see so many times he carried me through. And if there's one thing that I've learned in my life, my Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said, He will do. And every morning, His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Abraham's testimony. And it will be ours if we have true faith in this God. Trust Him because He is faithful and true. To live is Christ. Lord, help us to trust You. Give us a passion to know You. To grow in our knowledge of You. May it be spurred by the grace of the gospel, your mercy and grace to us in Christ. Not, not in any way that we think by doing this we will make ourselves more lovable by you, to you. But that we will, because of your grace and love for us and sacrificing your son for us, that that would ignite a passion of love and gratitude in us that would make us want to know you. That we would get serious about knowing you. That we can better and better walk by faith and not by sight. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that it is growing and not perfect. We thank you for means that you use to grow it. We thank you that you are able and faithful and true. And that you will bring all of your promises to pass. I pray for any who are not trusting you this morning that you would convict them of their sin and turn that they might turn and trust in Christ and rest in Him alone for salvation. And I pray for all of us who know you to be growing in our experience, in our lives of the fact that despite our pain and in the midst of our pain, you are faithful, you are true, and you will take us all the way home. Convert those who don't know you. Sanctify those who do. Lift high your son. Lord Jesus, thank you for living for us, for dying for us, and raising, being raised for us and reigning for us. And thank you that you're coming again. And that when you come, we will be like you. Thank you for such a great and glorious salvation. We look to you and cry out, indeed, that in our lives, our deaths, whatever is before us, that you will be given glory because of your work of grace in our lives. Grant us a true and living and growing faith for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.